0: Good morning York College. So my name is Grady Johnson. I graduated from York in 2018 and I currently live in Billings, Montana with my wonderful wife Delaney and um, I wish so much that I could be there in person with you all today, but a very unfortunate accident has left me totally trapped in the digital realm, unable again to take human form. Very unfortunate. Actually, I'm I'm just messing around with you. It's just a simple restraining order. Nothing huge. I was really excited when I found out in February was that it was the month that you all were exploring the idea of how to take advantage of opportunities we have in front of us for long term benefit. How the decisions we make now matter in the future. This got me excited because I immediately thought of my job. I work as a therapist in a psychiatric residential facility for adolescents. We're a working ranch that um, deals with kids with severe mental, emotional, and behavioral disturbances. I want to give a little bit of a warning today that as I talk about my job, I'll touch on the topics of abuse and suicide and self-harm. So if you have a sensitivity to those, um, I just want you to be prepared for that. Every day, I see kids at pivot points for their future. Kids often arrive at our facilities with high levels of substance abuse, self-harm, aggression, or sexually risky behavior. Each step that they take moves them in a certain direction for their future. Each one of those steps makes it easier to take the next step in the same direction. I, I think of a young woman that I work with who I'll call Katie. During her stay with us, Katie was constantly looking for ways to run to get out of where she was, both at home and with us. Whether she's pushing past staff or kicking out windows, at various times she assaulted our staff with a fire extinguisher or her hands. She would try to steal vanilla extract or hand sanitizer to get drunk on. I think about Hannah again, not a real name, but she spent her days before us um, getting drunk daily, fighting at school, running away from her family home to live with her violent older boyfriend. Katie and Hannah were at pivot points. C.S. Lewis has a really great quote about this. He says that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. And this quote is really powerful, and I love it, but to me, it has something missing, just slightly. An idea that I see when I work with these kids, like Katie and Hannah. And that is that the vast majority of decisions that brought my kids to the place where they are now were made by other people. And I know immediately that strikes us um, as an intensely individualistic culture in the United States. It strikes a nerve with us. We're about taking responsibility, being self-made people. We don't like to let people off the hook who have made bad decisions. But what Hannah and Katie's stories represents is the fact that we as humans are intensely, intensely connected as social creatures. Our decisions travel not only forward in time for us, but outward into ripples for those around us. This influence can be destructive or we can use it intentionally and gracefully as we work to become players in the story of redemption that runs in our world. I want to demonstrate a few ways today in which that can happen in both ways, destructive and beneficial, and how we can make our intentional choice to be the latter. So I think it's going to take some convincing. So, so I want to deal with the skeptics um, in our crowd today. They were saying, are we really that connected? Don't those who are mature just make decisions for themselves. Don't we just use our free will to make those good decisions? And this is the thing that I hear a lot from our parents and caregivers who bring kids to our facility. They tell me, you know, fix this kid. I want to make them learn how to make responsible decisions. And by this, they usually mean that they want the kid to get good grades and not to argue when they're asked to do the dishes. And that's not an issue, really. Make Kids making good choices is a desirable outcome but it's not generally their decisions that they need healing from. About nine out of ten kids that I work with have experienced chronic or severe trauma that has physically altered their ability to make good decisions that the rest of us find only mildly difficult. Well, I wish they could say that these are isol- isolated incidents at my work, the numbers are staggering, honestly. One in five Americans are sexually molested as children, one in four beaten with a mark left by parents, one in three couples engage in physical violence, and one in four grew up with alcoholic relatives. Trauma experts estimate that child abuse is the most impactful public health crisis and eradicating it would likely reduce depression by half, alcoholism by two-thirds, and suicide, drug use, and domestic violence by three-quarters. The ways in which abuse shapes one's outlook on the world and physical ability to accomplish daily emotional tasks, like reading facial expressions or recognizing our own emotions, means that things like substance abuse and violence start to become understandable, if unhealthy, ways of managing daily internal or external chaos. You see, Katie, who I talked about early, was likely neglected as an infant before she was adopted. Adding on to that, she was raped extensively over years by a member of the family. Hannah moved from her family home where she witnessed domestic violence, to a foster home where she was sexually abused and emotionally manipulated, back to her family home where she survived more physical abuse. Add on to this that both Hannah and Katie belong to different American Indian tribes. So historical trauma comes into play. Choices made by others forever altered the trajectory of Hannah and Katie's lives, and their stories, sadly, are not unique. For some of you, this is a part of your story, you know firsthand how those choices we make ripple out to others. And you're probably thinking, this is pretty extreme. And you're right, it is. Although, what I quoted earlier, it's a lot more widespread than you think. Examples such as child abuse are more intuitive and understandable in how we are truly connected. Of course, that has an impact on us. But beyond abuse, there are studies in attachment, family systems, and interpersonal neurobiology that show us that this concept of interconnectedness, our impact on each other, it travels from the extreme to the mundane. In the everyday, from the time that we were born, our family's beliefs and practices have defined how we will live our lives, usually without us even knowing how you clean, what you eat, what you think about religion, the ways in which you express your anger, happiness, or sadness. Communal patterns are littered throughout our lives and last for generations. Ben Franklin, his family tree is amazing. It shows a multi-generational pattern of five generations long of broken relationships between fathers and eldest sons, cutoffs, every one of them. This defies logic, but we shift to adjust to the patterns that we live in. Five generations, and no one was able to stop it. It's the same with our beliefs. The Bronte family, the no- great novelists, they held a deep suspicion of the outside world after their two eldest sibling- siblings died of sickness and abuse at school. Their father believed himself a stranger in a strange land, and so none of the remaining children but Charlotte and her for only a few years were ever able to successfully move away from home. The anxiety of the outside world derailed education, marriages, friendships. It's one family driven by their father's grief, let that belief define them. Even outside of our families, our words and actions shape those around us in our classes, clubs, churches, teams, Ethnic and racial groups. The social sciences are littered with the effects of having a shared identity within any kind of group. Praise, for one example, is found to be as reinforcing as money. When you choose to praise others for what they do or what they, how they present themselves, that makes them more as likely to repeat it as you handing them a twenty-dollar bill every time they do it. Your actions impact those around you. We see this truth revealed in the scripture as well beyond the human race. Uh, Romans 8 tells us that creation, all of creation, the world, is subject to frustration and decay due to the fallen nature of man. It tells us that we ourselves are subject to this fallen nature. It's an inheritance of decisions made a long time before we were born. And the realization of this interconnectedness is first one of frustration, that our lives are just as much imprinted in us as they are chosen by us. This realization should also be sobering when we realize the part that we might play in people's lives. Just as those in our communities now and generations ago have impacted us, our decisions travel forward and out into the lives of others, our habits, our values, our beliefs. Our legacies can and will last for generations and shape the world, even if it's just our small corner of. So some of you are probably thinking right now, like, dang, okay, <laughs> pretty, we get it. We want to have kids so we don't mess them up. We'll walk around with mildly pleasant looks on our faces, and we'll meditate on the fallen nature of humans until we feel really bad about it every morning. Probably a pretty bad idea, and it can be discouraging to look at the effects of our choices and that the long-term effects that they have on the lives of others know that every chance that we have to tear down is also a chance to build up. While well, so many before you have left their mark on the world in a negative way, there are things that are always being made right and beautiful again. This is the work of God and anyone who sees value in caring for what's around them. Things go wrong and are made right over time. I talked earlier about how Paul He mentions the misery of creation after the death humanity brought into the world. Paul also tells us that Jesus has flipped the script on the death that Adam's sin brought into the world by bringing life to everyone, an eventual new heaven and a new earth, free from the devastating effects of death. So what does this inspire in us? What should it inspire? At whatever position we are in and with whatever unique strengths and gifts we have, we get the chance to help set the world right not only now, but in generations to come, to join in on this redemptive arc of the world. Katie, my client, she paints and draws constantly, everything from scarred wrists to her grandmother's cabin where she spent many good summers. She draws a picture of her running cross country with flames erupting from her feet because of how strong she feels on the course. She tells me that she's inherited her grandmother's strength and that she knows that she's a good nurturer for her younger brothers. She draws a picture of them walking in the park and holding hands. Hannah writes poetry to make sense of the abuse and the complicated feelings she has towards her absent mother. She works with their dad to create a home that's safe and healing for everyone as both of them try to break the cycles long of generations of domestic violence that have existed in their families for decades. She expresses that she's a trailblazer and she thinks her kindness is contagious. Ben Franklin wrote Proverbs, and guided the founding of a nation. In the face of isolation, the Bronte sisters cultivate a vibrant imagination that leads them to write some of the greatest novels in the English language. Just like them, you may find redemption in adding your unique voice to the tapestry of your communities. You may have a gift with humor or energy, cheering up your friends or getting them to hang out during a tough week. Perhaps you're a good listener or have an eye for detail. Maybe people wouldn't know it, but the pain that you've been through has given you the courage to face just about anything. In the church, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that we have all been given unique gifts by the Spirit to build up our spiritual communities. We have the opportunity to live in the Spirit of God by building up the church with our unique gifts. On top of that, you might find redemption in rediscovering the strengths and resiliences that have already existed in your communities but have been forgotten. The wisdom of your grandparents that can be passed on to your younger siblings who never knew them. Holidays and traditions from your ethnic or racial groups or your cultural heritage that can help give families and friends consistency and encouragement. If We choose to nurture our communities. We help create communities that nurture us. Remember that we are inherently social creatures and our greatest investment in ourselves for years to come also just happens when we invest in others. So what's our takeaway here? We know that our decisions now matter years to come for both ourselves and others. We know that we can join in on this arc of redemption that God has started and so many have participated in. So how can you start? First, take stock of your communities. Just who are you affecting in the everyday? Nearly all of us have some kind of family unit or friend group. Most of us have classes or work. Beyond that's for you to discover. Sit down and write a list of your communities and social systems. Chances are you're going to be surprised at the amount that you have. Each one of those communities is exponential when you realize that they expand forward into time. Take seriously the impact that you will have on these people. Because you will have an impact. Second, become aware of what has influenced you and how you want to influence instead. As we discussed early, many of our family and social patterns, we carry on that they're perpetuated unconsciously, but we don't know we're doing it. Maybe your family doesn't discuss certain topics, be it sex or politics, so you choose to stay quiet when those come up. Maybe your church has a way of interpreting the Bible that you never thought to question. Have conversations with your friends and families and churches about how those communities have shaped you. Once you're aware of them, you get to decide whether they continue or they stop with you. I never realized uh, until I examined the effect of my Scandinavian heritage about how much emphasis I placed on doing rather than being. How much I wanted to work and to strive and do things rather than to allowing myself to sit and be a human being. I get to decide what continues with me and what stops with me. With this, think about the kind of legacy that you want to leave. If you want to end the cycles of substance abuse or aggression or legalism or hypocrisy, it can only be done intentionally. This starts with the habits you're cultivating in yourself right now. Uh, James Clear tells us the m- most lasting and effective habits are connected to a desired identity. Define that identity for yourself and begin creating it to today. What does a self-controlled person do on a daily basis? How does a loving and transparent person treat their roommates or their apartment, for that matter? What kind of friend group would be beneficial for someone who wants to stay sober? Name what you want your identity to be about and examine if your habits fit with it. We may not have the power in every situation to change every community we belong to, but we have the power to choose our habits. Right now, you can be a part of making things right that have gone wrong. Decisions hundreds of years ago to yesterday have brought us to this place and the place we're in with our communities. Abuse, faulty beliefs, family secrets, discouragement, and if we're not careful, we pass those on as well. It doesn't have to be that way. There is power in the fabric of the universe and our species. It's a resilient narrative that things that go wrong can be made right again. God has started it and the people all around our world from Charlotte Bronte to Katie and Hannah have continued it on. You have a chance to as well. Look around you, take stock of your communities and who's in them. Explore how your social systems have influenced you and intentionally choose habits that fit with your identity. The thumbprint that you want to leave on others. Your decisions matter and they matter for others now and tomorrow and 50 years from now, choose to invest in resilience and strength and redemption because it matters. Now, my greatest mentor in this life, none other than Gandalf the Grey from Lord of the Rings, once said that some believe it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. I have found it is the small, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay Small acts of kindness and love. Know that this can be true for you. Thank you.